unity. And somebody said, Amen. In Matthew, you're in 1 Samuel chapter 8. In Matthew 23, it says this, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread through all Syria. They brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Scripture illustrates that God is a sovereign king who wants to send his kingdom to a people. Okay? And he desires to bless those of us who would accept his reign. He desires to make us citizens of his kingdom, heirs of his kingdom. And he had a covenant that illustrated this. We're going to look at it a little bit tonight through David. But God has always desired that his, his kingdom would come and rule the nations. And this kingdom theme, this motif, is, is very central to New and Old Testaments. And you can see this, this strand, this one big story uh, of what God's prophetic plan was doing. And we're going to tap into that a little bit. I'm going to browse over a few passages just to kind of let you see the big picture. So you don't, if, you, if you get lost, don't follow along. Uh, you don't have to follow along. Just listen tonight. Because I want you to see the big picture of what God has really done through Jesus Christ and why this theologically, this kingdom makes sense tonight. And I love how our kids' church is named Kingdom Kids because I think it flows into this. But I said this morning there was a kingdom of heaven. From the very beginning, God had always desired to have His kingdom. And before He could send Jesus here, He sent us a foreshadow of heaven on earth. He sent us a, a template of heaven. And He would give it through the people of Israel. He'd call them out of the wilderness. And He would actually call them, My son Israel. And that's important tonight. You need to remember that. He called Israel, My son. And he pulled them out of Egypt. And He called them in Exodus 19. He said, You are a kingdom of priests to Me a holy nation, a people for uh, my possession. And I'm going to use you to basically change the world. And through you, uh, all the world's going to be blessed because that's what I told Abraham. And this is going to be this great story is going to be told of how God rescued the world and He chose you to do it. You get to be a part of this story. And so He began to give him the template of the tabernacle, the template of the temple later on, and all the rules and the priests and all that, the law. And He said, if you do all this, you would be a perfect nation. And you would be, and Isaiah said, you'd be a light to the world. And all the nations might know My salvation through you because you're illustrating what God really desires for humanity. You're illustrating what I would really want to see the world look like. But it's got to come from here. It's got to come from here. He even says repeatedly in the Old Testament, I really don't desire sacrifices. I really desire obedience. These things are just a template. They're just holding off the wrath of God until I can get Jesus, the Messiah, here. But what I really want is a people who I can use to tell the story, who I can let people know what I'm like through. And so that's the story of the kingdom. It becomes, in Exodus chapter 19, he says... For all the earth is mine, verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Long story short, Israel begins to pattern themselves, the Bible says, after the nations of the world. Instead of patterning themselves after God's heavenly kingdom and His heart, His identity, and His love for the stranger and the foreigner and, and all of these things, they begin to say, I really like the way the world does things. I really like the way the world has their government structured. 
I really like the way the world has their their meeting structured and their social gathering structured. I really like how they have those things in their house. I really like, but ever all my friends are watching those shows. All of my all of my family goes to those events. All of these people, I got to fit in, God. We've got to fit in with the world. I mean, because that's what you're here. Remember, God, you told us to reach the world. So they began to marry unbelievers. They began to bring unbelieving things into their home. They began to model their ministries, their their organizations, the leadership of their family. They're modeling their husband and wife, their marriage off of the marriages of the world. They begin to model the way they raise their children off the models of the world. And this happens over generations. Does this sound familiar to anybody in the American church? Okay, you can preach some of this to yourself. I'll let you. All right. Uh, and, And so this is what happens. And there comes a moment, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where it hits a climax. And, and what happens here is they, be, they ask God for an ultimate exchange here. They say, we want a king. But see, the thing is, God said, but you will be to me a kingdom. So what does that make God? The king. And so they ask God, we want a king like the world has kings. Let's look right here. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel the prophet, right, at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you've grown old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. And now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. See that? But, verse 6, But the king, but this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. And they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Man, that is a sad, sad verse right there. Verse 8, Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt even to this day, and that day they forsaken me and served other gods, and they're so doing it to you also. Now then listen to their voice, however, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of all the procedure of a king who will reign over them. Samuel really begins to argue with them. And Samuel uh, tells him, he says, guys, if, if you've you got to realize what you're asking here. You're, one, you're slapping God in the face. Two, you're, don't you know that if you have a king, he's going to take your best sons and he's going to put them in the army. They're going to die. He's going to take your best daughters. They're going to work for him and scrub his house and do all those things. He's going to take the best of your vineyards. He's going to tax you. He's going to do all these things. And you're going to be worse off and you're going to cry out to God later. And they say, well, we still want it. You see how blinding when you mold yourself and compromise little by little with the darkness of this world, like we talked about this morning, it begins to the things of God no longer make sense. Before, God always elected a, a man of God to rise up, deliver them. God had provided water uh, in the desert. God provided manna. I mean, God always won their battles. Why in the world do you need a king? Why in the world do you need the things of this world? Well, we just do. I just really like the way they do that. It really makes sense to me. Because they begin to be carnally minded, thinking of the flesh, thinking of the things of this world, not open. And their minds, uh, like we said this morning in Ephesians, it says they were walked in the futility of their mind, not understanding the things of God. And so Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, looked down. He says, Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Let me tell you something. Church, I don't want our church to look like anything of the world. 
I don't want the organization of our church, the attitudes of our church, their marriages, our, what we watch on TV, the way we handle our finances. None of it should look like the procedures and the principles of the world. Because we have been called to be the kingdom of God. Light in the darkness. And if we have darkness in us, how can we have light? It doesn't work that way. Light always casts out darkness. And so begrudgingly, Samuel assists in the anointing of the king. So God actually begins to have mercy on the people. I, I don't know why. <laughs> honestly, he says, you know what? I love them. I will give them salt. Sure. I'll give them what they asked for. Be careful what you pray for. Sometimes he might just give it to you. He gives them Saul and he says, you know what? I love them anyway. I'll let Saul deliver them from the Amalekites and the Philistines and such. Samuel anoints him. Saul rallies the Israelites. They have victory in a lot of ways. In first Samuel 11 and the prophet Samuel, he says, you know what? I'm just done. He retires. Sometimes you ever feel like that with people. I'm just done. I'm just tired of trying. So he retires, but he tells them, he says, you know what? This is a sinful choice. You've rejected God's kingship. He prays over them. He, the dude is so close to God, which I love. He says, just to show you that this is not just me talking. He prays in a thunderstorm. This is the dry season where it doesn't rain. A thunderstorm shows up in the middle of him speaking. Y'all know I was telling the truth right now. If it just started thundering in this room, wouldn't it? I mean, the thunderstorm shows up and they begin to repent and say, uh, oh, but... We sinned against God, but you know, it never changed their heart. They never rejected the king. It didn't change him enough. And again, that goes back to the things of this world. There's a repentance that leads to sorrow, but there's a repentance that leads to godly sorrow, which changes us in our direction. And that's the thing of the light of the gospel shining on us. So Samuel warns them, and he says, if you fail to obey the Lord, you and your king will be swept away. And it goes on, and Samuel, or Saul actually leads Israel for 44 years, I believe. And in a day when a war with the Philistines, Saul calls for a sacrifice. Samuel doesn't come when he's supposed to. Those pastors are never on time, I guess. When you really want them to be there, where's the pastor? And, uh, <laughs> and he's, he's like, these guys were in a Philistine war. Where Samuel, he's got to make an offering so he can win this battle. Samuel's not there. And so he says, just give me the burnt offerings and I'll go do it. And he goes and he does it. About that time, Samuel shows up and he says, what in the world have you done? This is not what I told you. This is not what God told you. That's not your role. This, I told you what it was to be king. You were not supposed to do this. He says, because of that, and Saul, you know, he, he gets, he's defensive and he kind of rationalizes. Well, it wasn't that bad. I did what you told me to do. No. And so Samuel says, you know what? God's just going to leave you. This is done. It's not the only time that Saul disobeyed him. And we go on and we see the sad story of this. And Samuel, in the, in the long story, Samuel tells him, the team is going to be torn for you. You're not the guy that God's going to continue with. And then Saul goes in remorse, but it doesn't change his heart. What God was doing them there, he was showing them what really they were, what their hearts had longed for. God's spirit left Saul because of his rebellion and a long line of kings come who are going to really end up destroying and dividing Israel. But God wanted to give him a glimpse of hope. And here's the cool story. God would say, it says Samuel told Saul, he says, but God's going to look for a man after his own heart. He's going to show the world something. He's going to show Israel something about who he really is. So we hear the story. And Saul, chooses, uh, Saul goes on, does his thing. And God begins to move on Samuel's heart. And he says, Samuel, now is the time. I'm going to go, go to the house of Jesse. Find this guy. Long story short, Samuel picks out of the young shepherd boy, the least of the least, who's David. And God was 
doing is that he was desiring a king and a government that would function under his authority. And that when it says he looked after a man with his own heart, after his own heart, what it really meant, he was looking for a person who would recognize God alone is king. That's the kind of guy I can use as king who realizes he's not king. That's what he's doing. It's like the job of president. The guy who doesn't want it probably is the guy who should get it, except for in this country, right? But I didn't say that, right? But in that position, he's like, I'm looking for a guy who knows I'm always king of my people. I'm looking for a man who has my kind of heart, who knows that God comes first and he comes second. He's going to shepherd my people as an under shepherd. He's not going to lord it over them and he's not going to put me out of the picture. And so God uh, chooses David, the son of Jesse, and becomes the first true king of Israel. I love how that says that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That basically David becomes the real king. And during the reign of uh, Saul begins to fade, David gets anointed. The Spirit of God comes mightily over him. And David's whole reign becomes a model of God's desire for a coming Messiah. Under David, this is what happens. God was still eternal king. Under David, he was still uh, the shepherd. Under David, uh, God was the leader and David was the servant. And through David's leadership, Israel began to recognize God was still king. Even though David's king, but we realize God is still king. Let me tell you something. Even though there are things that happen in this life, even though there, you have a pastor, and even though you might have a husband or a spouse, and there's all these things going on in the world, uh, God is still king. There is not, we're not following man here today. We don't need a king over us. We have God. Amen. We are part of a new nation, a new people. And so what happens here today is that David begins to model this. And if you look and do the studies of it, David is the first person in Scripture uh, to call God Father. And God begins to call David my son. That is so very interesting. David begins to get this intimate relationship with God because he knows who God really is. He says, God, you're king of my heart. You're king of my life and you're king of these people. I'm just your servant. Do with me what you will. He begins to write all these beautiful psalms and declaring the wonders of God and who he is because he had a heart after God and he has this deep relationship with him. And God says, this is the kind of guy, this is the kind of dude I can use to set the stage for my king, my son to come. And he makes this covenant with, look in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We get to a point in David's life and David desires to build a house for God because he's done. He just loves God. I mean, he, this guy loves God. He desires to build a house, a dwelling place, a, a permanent dwelling place. Don't we want that in our hearts? A permanent dwelling place for God. David's like, I need, I love this guy so much. He's like my father. I, I give everything to him and I'm nothing without God. And he says, I want people to have a permanent dwelling where they can go and show up and God's always there. God says, well, David, you've spilled a little bit too much blood in all the wars. I've got a, a, your son's going to do that for you. But here's what's going to happen. I know you wanted to build me a house, but David, what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to build you a house. That's really cool. He says, I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to build you a legacy. Because you've been a servant to me, like a son to me, because you've recognized who I am and you've kept me as king, I'm going to build you a, a dynasty, a, a line of descendants, and there's going to be one come after you who's going to be labeled a son of David. There's going to be one come after you who's going to build an eternal kingdom. 
And your name's going to be attached to it because that's how much I love you for remembering that I'm king. That's how much I love you for developing a son and father relationship with me. And this king who's coming, he's going to be my son too. And he's going to recognize me as father. And he's going to show the whole world what a real king looks like, what God the king looks like. And he's going to show the whole world what the kingdom of God really looks like. And David, I thank you for being a foreshadow of what's coming because something awesome is about to break through. There'll be a light will shine in the darkness. And he says in Second Samuel chapter 7, when your days are complete, David, and you lie down, verse 12, and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up a descendant after you who come forth from you and I'll establish his kingdom. And he, he, Jesus, he'll be the one that'll build the house, the real house. This is just a temporary tabernacle. This is a temporary stones. But he's going to build a real house for, for me, and it'll be your name on it. And he says, I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, David, man, he is astounded. He's like, oh, my God, I've spilled blood. I, I sinned against you. I lost a child in the middle of all of like adultery and affair. I killed my best friend. And yet you would consider me in your grace to build me a legacy, to put my name on the Messiah's name. God, that you would call me your son and that you would establish me a house. God, I don't deserve all this. And David begins just in the grace of God, just to declare the glory of God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 17, or verse 18. Let me just go there real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. David begins to pray and he says, verse 18, Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far. And yet this was significant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also to the house of your servant. There's that key word concerning this distant future. And he goes in verse 20 again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord. Does it amaze us any more at the grace of God? The story is really this, is that when Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to tell you how to pray. You can pray with me. I'm the son of David. David, Jesus is born, baby in a manger, comes in the descendants of David, fulfills the the prophecies. He shows up and he says, I'm going to tell you how to pray. Why don't you pray with me? This is how Jesus would say. Why don't you pray our father? You know that makes you son and daughter. Same relationship David had. And he says... I'm going to ask you to be a part of my kingdom. He says, repent, believe, come on in the kingdom. You can be a citizen of the kingdom. You can be a part of God's royal kingdom. You can be that holy nation, that kingdom of priests that God wanted from the very beginning. And you'll be a son of God, just like David was a son of God. And you'll be, get this, David wanted to build a house for God, but God built a house for David. We want to give everything to God because He died for us. But He says, you know what? But you'll be in my house too. You'll be the house that I promised David way back when. You get to be the living stones, the temple of the Most High God. It's not a, a building with bricks and mortar anymore. But I'm making it so great and so grand and fulfilling this beautiful picture, this beautiful mosaic of what I've told you is going to happen from the beginning of time, that the King has come. Deliverance is here. There's an eternal kingdom now has stepped out of heaven, stepped onto earth, split the darkness wide open with light shining in the darkness. And he says, now you can be my sons and daughters. You can be my house and you'll fulfill 
everything I've told David. Is that not awesome or what? Who am I? That's what we should be saying tonight. Just like David. Who in the world am I that I'd be a living stone in the house of God? Who am I that... What have I done? I didn't beat the Philistines. I didn't take over the nation of Israel and give God the glory for it. I didn't, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I was a sinner, lost without God. Didn't even know Him. Didn't even know I needed Him. And yet He suffered to say, You can be now my son. You can be now my daughter. And you can be now my kingdom of priests. You can be now my house, a temple of the living God, and you can be a part of my kingdom. Who are we that we deserved every fulfillment of prophecy that all these men of old longed for? David didn't see it in his lifetime. He got a glimpse of it. But who am I that I would receive David's fulfillment, that I would see the fulfillment of his covenant with God and his relationship with God, that I would receive the blessing from him and his obedience. What have I done to deserve such a great price? And that's amazing grace. It doesn't get old. The more I study it, it gets better and better and better. The more I hear it, the more I see the big picture of God, the more I see these verses pop out, it just gets more and more amazing. Jesus comes, God with us, Emmanuel, brings the, He becomes the Davidic Messiah, the Savior. He brings glory, authority, and hope. He becomes the true Son of God. David was just a foreshadow of what God really wanted to do. We begin to know God personally as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He ushers in a new day of peace in the Lord. He, he becomes the final judge of humanity. And He radiates His glory through a holy remnant of God. And He preaches this kingdom message, confirming it with healings and miracles that He is who He says He is. Nobody can argue that Jesus is who He is. Nobody has done the miracles Jesus has done. Nobody has said the things Jesus has said. And nobody's died like Jesus has died. He is the Davidic Messiah. He is the King. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one that was prophesied generations and generations ago. And everything in the New Testament testifies He's King. Let me say this and go back to the very beginning. Is that God has always desired to bring His nation to the earth. He has always desired to get you to be a part of His nation. And He says in Matthew 24, the message of this kingdom will be preached to all the nations of man and then the end will come and the purpose of this good news this gospel message of the kingdom it's a it's really the good news of the kingdom if you want to really know the definition of the word gospel it really means the herald the good news of a victory king who's parading through the city and so when i say gospel it's the good news of the kingdom who has a victorious king that's really what it means and so when we declare in the world today the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is to declare there is a king who has come and his kingdom reigns. There is a kingdom who's come. He reigns right here in my heart. You can't see it. You're not going to go out there and see a fortress. You're not going to go out there and see all this stuff. But in the kingdom of God in this room, you can see life changed. 
You can see darkness cast out of people's past and their light is shining in their life. You can see deliverance of addiction. You can see marriages restored. You can see hope in people's life. You can see joy where there shouldn't be joy. Peace where there shouldn't be peace. You can see laughter where there should be crying and mourning for the things of this world. That's because the kingdom of God is real. It's tangible. It's among us. I want to really just ask us this as we go into prayer tonight, just for a few minutes. He tells us in 1 Peter, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for God's own possession. He says it over you tonight. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you, get this, out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here's the identity part. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Goes back to David and what he said. Who am I that God you would choose me? That leads me to a place of worship, just like David. And it leads me to a place to declare the glory of God. And what we want to be praying for tonight is our revival is approaching this week. I really encourage you to join with me in prayer, not just tonight, but through this whole week, praying for coming Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I'm asked the worship team to come on back. <clears throat> what I want to do tonight, and just to begin to declare in our hearts to God, uh, just, God, who are we that you would do this? And it would bring a place of amazement to who God is and what He has done for us. That's really the simple... That's all I wanted to do tonight. Just to get us to a place of amazement that God's amazing grace is so wonderful, so indescribable that we'd say, God, who am I? And then it would leave us like David to begin to declare the wonders of God in our communities. And so we want to begin to do that tonight. And as you begin to do that with your heart, I'm just going to invite you to uh, find a place of prayer.